0: Welcome to the Southcrest live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. So you're going to turn to Psalm 119. That's going to be somewhere in the middle of your Bible. You open that Bible up to the middle, and you'll be somewhere near the Psalms. Now, I'm going to tell you, Psalm 119 has 176 verses. So let's start with verse 1, shall we? I'm kidding, man. But that did remind me, uh, I saw a thing one time, signs you're in for a long sermon. The pews have camper hookups. (laughs) There's an intermission. Or the preacher says, you'll be out in time to watch the Super Bowl, and it's only November I realize there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. Hopefully this will be the former, Psalm 119. Before we get into that, I want to just introduce you to the Psalms. Now, the Bible is, is not one book. It's an anthology. It's a collection of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It's a collaboration or comprises... All different literary categories of literature. It's an amazing thing, written over 15 centuries by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages, and somehow, some way, it all says the same thing. You don't think that there's evidence for the Bible being true? There certainly is, man. The Psalms are my favorite book in the Bible, not that that matters, but the reason is because it's, it runs the, the gamut of emotional range. Philip Yancey, in his book, "The Bible Jesus Read," said, "As I studied the Bible in the Psalms, I found disorientation, confusion, rage, despair and anguish, such as I had never heard discussed in church. Oh, it's all in there, folks. He says in Psalm 8, David looks up at the night sky and is overwhelmed by the sermon from the stars, the cosmos, and he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, yet two psalms later in Psalm 10, the mood abruptly shifts, where the psalmist says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalms are prayers, they're songs with raw and guttural emotion, their words are visceral. On one end of the spectrum, they allow us to bathe in the awesome glory of God, and on the other end, they give us permission to absolutely unleash on God. Some have said, oh, we shouldn't be mad at God in our prayer. You better go tell the psalmist that, you better tell Jeremiah that in Lamentations 3. We're better to take our rage and our confusion and our pain than to God. He says, I got big shoulders, man. You bring it to me. You bring it to the cross. That's the Psalms. So in regard to Psalm 119, we're gonna begin with verse 97 actually. But let me say this in introduction of this particular Psalm. Psalm 119 joins Psalm one and Psalm chapter 19 as the Alps, this mountain range of exaltation of the word of God with Psalm 119 serving as a metaphorical Mount Everest. 73 of the Psalms are attributed to David. This Psalm has no such designation. We don't know who wrote it. It doesn't matter. Within the Psalm, you're going to see, because this because the Psalms are poetry, they use literary devices familiar to poetry. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his uh, reflections on the Psalms, said the Psalms must be read as poetry for an accurate interpretation. So in this psalm there are synonyms that are used over and over and over again, different words which mean the same thing yet with different context and different nuance. You'll see throughout this psalm, the word law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, rules, promises, decrees based on your particular translation. But as facets of a diamond all (laughs) reflect the diamond, so all these terms reflect the Word of God. There is one theme in this psalm, and it is the Word of the Lord. So let's pick it up, shall we? In verse 97, let me say one last thing. This is interesting because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. So within this psalm, each section is divided into 22 sections. It it, it helps them to to memorize the scriptures, man. They didn't have all the technology that we do today. They sure didn't have a phone where they could just pull it up and go, oh, this is what it says. And so they have this tradition of their parents and grandparents pouring the scriptures into them to memorize it. The rabbis, the Pharisees, and they, they memorized the entire Pentateuch, all first five books of the Bible. And so memorization, memorization was key, and they knew they needed to help them do that. It's like we, you know, when we remember when you're a child, and we memorize our alphabet. We have that A B C D E F G song, right? Music just helps. And so that's the reason, the logic behind this. So it starts off with Aleph, then you go to Bet, and then you go to Gimel, and then so forth and so on. And every eight verses within that Hebrew letter of the alphabet begins with that letter of the alphabet. So we start with the 13th and we have the 14th letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Mem and Nun. So, verse 97, the psalmist writes, Oh, how I love your law. All day long I meditate on it. Don't let the word meditate scare you folks. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. <laughs> right? Yeah. You just It's turning that over and over again. Worry is just negative meditation. That's all it is. And then in verse 103, he says, "'How sweet are your words to my taste, "'sweeter than honey to my mouth.'" We jump to verse 105. "'Your word is a lamp for my feet, "'a light to my path, to illuminate my way.'" Verse 106, "'I have vowed and solemnly sworn "'that I will follow your righteous laws.'" And then we jump to verse 112. "'My heart is on keeping your decrees. "'I am determined to obey your statutes, at all times to the very end. Point one, love for God and love for his word go hand in hand. Love for God and love for his word go hand in hand. He says, oh, how I love your law. Not just, hey, I love your law. It's, oh, how I love your law. You sit down for a big awesome dinner. Oh, how I love this food. Uh, you, you You get the spirit, you get the emotion behind this, right? I meditate about, I meditate on them all day long. I like the New English translation where it says, I think about them all day long. That doesn't mean that's all you think about, but it's ruminating. It's turning over in your mind. In verse 47, it says, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. My friends, let me just be straight with you, man. We, wouldn't, we, 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 we shouldn't say we love the Bible if the only time we read it is when we come together on Sundays and Wednesdays. Don't say you love the Bible if that's it. What if my wife, Michelle, said, Nick, I have something to say to you. It's vital to our relationship. And I looked at her and went, nah. How how well you think that's going to work for me? (laughs) But that's in essence, you know, the spirit. And when we we say we love the Lord and then we just don't care to, to get into his word, really love for anyone and love for what they say goes hand in hand. The way a Christian treats their Bible Shows how that Christian regards Jesus Christ. That's an ouch statement, right? C.S. Lewis said there would be no sense in saying you love Jesus if you would not take his advice. Why do we know his advice? we got to read his word, man. In our Christian culture, here's how it usually works. Oh, Jesus, I I wear the T-shirts that tell people I love you, and I'll, I'll sing the songs that tell people I love you, but I'd rather not read or hear what you have to say. Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz, he said, I've become an infomercial for God, and I don't even use the product. Joel Furches, the uh, Christian author, this is your next blanks, he said, this is another ouch statement. He says, atheists are often more informed on the Bible and Christian doctrine and history than most Christians. Bill Maher, not a Christian, the uh, talk show host, comedian, he said, To most Christians, the Bible is like a software license. Nobody actually reads it. They just scroll down to the bottom and click, I agree. Parents, let me talk to you for a minute. I was a youth pastor for 24 years. That's why my hair's white. (laughs) No, it was awesome. I call it the wild kingdom. It was absolutely an incredible experience. I thank God for those years. But I want you to know Teenagers learn to articulate their faith by hearing adults articulate theirs. Sarah Salviander is an astrophysicist. She was raised in an atheist home. Both her parents are atheists, and they raised her to be an atheist. Of course, science 100% supports the biblical worldview, and so she learned that in her undergrad and graduate studies in astrophysics when she learned that the heavens really are telling of the glory of God. And so she wrote a little blog titled How to Turn Christian Children into Atheist Adults. Here's one thing she said, and I quote, demonstrate to your children that you don't take the Bible too seriously. Grandparents and parents, let me me, me just talk to you for a minute, man. Now I didn't grow up in a home where we, we never talked about the Bible but I didn't grow up in a church going home. You guys are here. You're a church going home. Don't feel like you have to have some, some degree or certificate meant to talk about the Bible. Here's a suggestion. At dinner or some maybe during the holidays, pick a time when it's convenient or just when it works. Maybe in the car while you're driving. Talk to your kids, your spouse. Say, hey, I was reading my Bible and I'm trying to sort out this particular passage. Here's what I think it means. What do you think? You see, let them know, man, you're struggling with it too. The psalmist, the writers of scripture, absolute messes. That David, who authored 73 of the Psalms, got a girl pregnant, had her husband killed. These people are, we don't have to have it together, man. Hey. What do you think about this scripture? Just bring it up. Sure, the very first time, if you've never done it, your kid's going to pass out, but that's okay. Get beyond that. What are you talking about? Hey, hey, and all, here's all you have to say. Man, I'm learning just like you are. You know what? I think I ought to spend more time reading this thing, getting to know it. I know sometimes it can look like a six-inch tax document. We don't understand anything. These are letters. They're poems. They're they're, they're historical narrative. That's history. They're biographies. Just start. And with the amount of study Bibles we have today and so many translations, we're really without excuse. If you truly love the Bible, if I truly love the Bible, your next blanks, I'm going to read it, I'm going to think about it, I'm gonna talk about it with others, and I'm gonna put it into practice. Point number two, the light of God's word guides, protects, revives, encourages, and liberates. Verse 105, which is a very familiar verse, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We know the uh, scripture song uh, done by Amy Grant decades ago, thy word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path." Right? Helps us memorize it. In ancient times, they didn't have street lights. There's nothing. And so it was imperative that they had some sort of illumination. A light or a lantern or something bad was going to happen. They could put themselves in dangers of bandits. They could also step off of the side of a road into a ditch, hurt themselves deeply, or hurt or cripple their um if they have a horse or a a beast of burden something like that it was just dangerous to walk in the dark it is now you ever walked in your own house that you live in in the dark and hurt yourself oh we all have and you think i I don't remember putting that there but we did (laughs) carlsbad caverns you ever been to carlsbad caverns that's a deep hole and so you go there, when you first look into it, you look like, well, here we go to the core of the earth. And so you spend your, you head your way down there. Now, fortunately, they have uh, paths and railing and lighting now. But then somewhere down there in the belly of the beast, they start telling that story about, they didn't always have that. Somebody had to find this. And so those early explorers, and they would say, they just had barely had a little lamp. And what if that lamp went out? And then they turn the lights off. You ever been there when they did that? The darkness is so thick it seems to have a pressure per square inch. You don't know if to your left within a few inches is something so sharp that it'll slice into your flesh. You don't know if to your right is a precipice so steep and so high you could step off and kill yourself. You have no idea. You know what the only thing's going to change that? Turn the light on. Satan wants us to stay in darkness. C.S. Lewis wrote a fascinating book called The Screwtape Letters. It is a dialogue, a correspondence between the senior demon and his apprentice nephew demon. Senior demon, Uncle Screwtape, nephew demon, is Wormwood. And so it's letter after letter after letter from Screwtape to Wormwood, teaching how to be an effective demon. In regard to um, what they call Wormwood's patient, his assigned Person. This person is now a Christian, which has infuriated, screw tape, but what's done is done. So now the strategy, rather than keep him from being saved, is to keep him from growing in his faith. Let's just keep him, there's a new word called apatheism. It is this, um, uh, it, 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 it's this habit of just being apathetic toward our Christian walk. And so screw tape writes, Wormwood. Our best work is accomplished not by putting things into their minds but by keeping things out. We tend to think, oh we've got to be careful where we go, which is true. But Satan's saying, keep the Word of God out of their minds. Do everything in your power, he continues, to keep your patient occupied with anything other than intimacy with Christ through His Word. Should the patient begin to grow in his faith, studying, memorizing, and applying God's word as well as understanding his identity and position in the Almighty Christ, we will flee in terror. I warn you, Wormwood, this must not happen. Why would Screwtape make this intense warning to Wormwood? Well, it's because he wants to keep us in the dark. He wants us to step off the path. He wants us to cripple ourselves. He wants us to be of no use to God. C.S. Lewis said, if you do not read the Bible, it will not mean you have no ideas about God. It'll simply mean that you have a lot of wrong ones. Right? Tim Keller said, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Chances are I don't believe in that God either. He wants to keep us. He wants Darkness confuses, discombobulates, and disorients us. That's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14, 12, your next blank, he said, there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. That is quoted word for word again in chapter 16, verse 25 of Proverbs. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, Satan hates the word of God more than any other thing, and he'll do whatever is within his power to keep us from reading it. I remember I heard a preacher one time hold up his Bible. He says, look, this book will keep me far from sin and sin will keep me far from this book. It is our one light. It is our one lamp. There is no other. It's not social media. It's not your best friend. And it's surely not the White House. Am I right about it? The Word of God guides In Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I like how the Message Bible renders that. By carefully reading the map of your word. You ever put your GPS on your phone up there on the dash and you put something in and it leads you somewhere else? And you find yourself yelling at an inanimate object. Like they're going to answer, How could you do this? God's word's never going to lead you astray. You're always going to be right where you need to be, right when you need to be there. He'll always be spot on. Did you ever notice, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus was never in a hurry and he was never late. You'll always be right on time. In Psalm 25, 12, the psalmist wrote, Who is the one who fears the Lord? God will instruct them through his word in the way they should choose. He wants you to know his will. His word guides. In fact, Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God's not standing back there with his arms crossed and say, look, I told you where to go. Now do it. He's with you the whole time, man. He's got his arm around you saying, I got you. Now, if you want to uh, stray off, he'll let you. But he's got you. The blazing flame of God's Word is not sent to merely astound us with its brilliance, but also to guide us by its instruction. When life has you turned you upside down, the Bible is your true north. It's like, remember Foghorn Leghorn and the old Looney Tunes uh, cartoons? You younger people don't, but you need to look him up. <clears throat> that big rooster chicken thing, and he said, boy, boy, I say boy, It's more confusing than a termite and a yo-yo. Which way is up? (laughs) That's the same way we are, right? We go to bed on top of the world. We wake up with the world on top of us. What happened during the night? There's a corrective property to the scriptures. Never think there's not, man. Don't listen to the devil hiss in your ear that it's not going to make a difference. It will. I'm speaking from... Personal experience, the Word of God protects. It protects us from reacting instead of responding. You ever had someone cut you off in traffic? You ever, <laughs> you ever have someone gossip about you and spread something? And you, uh, our, our natural inclination is want to go hurt somebody, right? look what the psalmist writes in this very same psalm verses 69 through 71 he says arrogant people smear me with lies but in truth I obey your commandments with all my heart he said I like this I'm reading it from the scriptures their hearts are dull and stupid but I delight in your instructions so we go back to Romans 12 vengeance is mine says the Lord and he says don't hit back had a friend in high school he said Nick do you know if a cat scratches you, you know why you don't scratch it back? I said, what? It's a dumb animal. Listen, don't hit back. So the word protects us from reacting instead of responding. Psalm 1911, another familiar passage, I have hidden or stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It protects us from ourselves. Chuck Swindoll, one of my all-time favorite Bible teachers, Um, He pastored in Southern California for decades. A prolific author. I used to listen to him all the time. He's still pastoring and preaching. Godly, humble man. Because he was so effective, well, he was invited all the time to different conferences and conventions to speak at, and so they flew him all the way from Los Angeles all the way up to Toronto, Canada. He's up there, he's exhausted, he's preached and, and, and intermingled all day long. He finally goes back to his hotel. He tells this, he shares this story. He goes back to his hotel, very nice hotel they put him in. He walks in, goes to the elevator, pushes the button, it opens. He steps in, and right behind him step in two beautiful women. He really doesn't think anything about it, but being raised the right way, he says, Ladies, let me push the button for you. What floor? And they said, It depends on what floor you're going to here's what he says. He said, my first thought was not, what if my wife finds out? My first thought was not, what if my church finds out? My first thought was, don't be fooled. God is not mocked. Whatever a man shall sow, that shall he also reap. The Word of God protects The Word of God revives and encourages. In Psalm 119, verses 28, 50, and 81, he says, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me with your word. Your promises revive me. It comforts me all day long. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised, according to your word. Human nature never changes. The human condition never changes. They were as exactly like us as we are today, as they are 20 centuries ago. Culture changes, society, uh, customs, um, technology, but they suffered just like we. We can't read the scriptures and look at it and go, yeah, but they don't know how I have it today. Oh yeah, they did. They had it the same way, just without computers and cars and stuff like that. Humans don't change, man. He's suffering, and he says, God, revive me by your word. Encourage me by your word. I've done that so many times. 2020, when the world lost its ever-loving mind. Every day I'd have to go to the scriptures and just say, God, remind me of what is true. Remind me that we have have a God who has not surrendered his throne The Word of God also liberates. We're going to come back to that. Point three, my solemn surrender. My solemn surrender is to love and obey the Word of God. uh, Verse 106 says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The word for sworn there is the Hebrew word shabah. It's used 186 times in the Old Testament, always taking on the idea of an intentional, passionate, and serious commitment. This isn't, I'm gonna go on a diet January 1st and hit the gym type of commitment, which almost always doesn't last very long. This guy's saying, I'm, I'm in this, man. I'm in it, I'm gonna do it. I like how the New Living Translation renders it. It says, I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. They're no different, he gets it, man. I promised it once, I'm gonna to have to promise it again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. That's why Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, take up your cross daily. Every morning when we get up, man, God help me. Help me again. <laughs> and he says, I got you. I got you, lean in to me. Sometimes we want God just to send us a text. He did, it's a long one. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's there he said I promise help me Arthur Pink the theologian said There's no, the Bible is, is no lazy man's book C.S. Lewis said if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable I certainly don't recommend Christianity hey why don't you just go home get on social media and start uh, quoting the word of God in regard to the hot topics today See how that works out for you. The vitriol, the poisonous replies you'll get. How dare you? In Colossians 1.13, Paul wrote, Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his Son. Uh, Luther calls it this happy exchange, but my point is when we're brought out of darkness into light, our life lived in the light is a challenge to those who continue to live in the darkness. Sometimes we just feel like we don't fit. And the Bible says now we're foreigners, we're aliens here, our citizenship is in heaven. And so absolutely, it's hard sometimes, man. There will be opposition, you can count on it. Jesus said on the night before he was crucified, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. His word revives, it encourages. So there will be those times, what I call uncomfortable devotion. G.K. <laughs> Chesterton, the uh, 20th century British philosopher and theologian, he says a dead thing can go upstream, I'm sorry, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it." Is your commitment dead or alive? Your soul, once saved, is forever secure. But what is your behavior, your level of devotion? Man, be like the psalmist, say, I'm gonna do it. I promise tomorrow morning, I promise to do my best. Later in the psalm, the psalmist, he he gets it, he says, Lord, help me even when I fail. There were gonna be those times. But that's why the cross and the empty tomb exist. Chris Austin, the fourth century church father said, no adversary can overpower the soul that is rooted in the fear of God and the knowledge of Christ's teachings, don't let Satan scare you off. Remember what the Screwtape wrote to Wormwood? When those people get involved in the word, we flee in terror. James described it when he said, the demons tremble when Jesus shows up. When does Jesus show up? When we show up. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, look, my beloved brothers and sisters, stand firm, steadfast, dig in, immovable, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always, not sometimes. You like flying? Flying on an airplane? The flying is great. Getting there is problematic. Problematic. What if the pilot came over, the uh, announcer, announce, you know, the speaker. Hello, folks, we want to welcome you to Flight 772. I want to thank you for flying with us. Now, I want you to know, I'm planning on not crashing much. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do our best, but no, man, we want to know that he has done his work, that he intends to have a safe flight. So we don't want to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I, I promise to, to meditate and to read and to study and apply your word pretty much. There's a cost for following Jesus, but there's also a cost for ignoring him. William Bradford, the Puritan, these are your next blanks. He said, those who believe in the Holy Scriptures are bound to observe its teachings. Those who do not are bound by its consequences. The psalmist in verse 73 of this psalm, he said, You made me, you created me, now give me the sense to follow your commands. Man, I like that. You know, when we read the scriptures, we need to remember uh, these people are just like us, and that the Word of God is about us, and it's to us. So the psalmist has chosen for the Word of God to be his guide for life, and he's exhorting us to do the same. So how do we bring this to a close? I know how. This past Monday, I went to eat lunch. Clearly I care nothing about myself, so I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. <coughs> now, <laughs> so it's the one over there at 82nd, and just off 82nd, and Slide. Now, now folks, um, on a serious note, um, we lost our son Jordan 11 years ago. He took his life. He, Depression has ravaged our family, and he he's no longer here. Now, he's alive, and a reunion's coming, but it was tough, as you can imagine. It was horrible. I tell you that because, you know, as he grew up, and it's very, very cool when your son gets to that age where you're kind of like both adults now. And you, kinda, you know, you're kind of on the same wavelength. You're making the same jokes, and now he's in college doing his thing, and every now and then he'd say, hey, Dad, let's go eat lunch and, kfc and get a famous bowl and you got know famous bowl you know what's in that whatever's left at the end of the day they just kind of put it all in there <laughs> Here. throw some corn on that all right <clears throat> but we would eat that famous bowl now that's the context so i walk into um kfc everything's fine i know that's where we used to meet it's been 11 years and so uh get my i'll do my order and uh and then I look over and I see the table where he and I used to, used to eat together. I was just triggered. It, it, it was one of those what I call emotional landmines. I, I started, I, I just lost it. I lost it in KFC. And so I, I get my drink and I go around to a table and they call me and I get my food and I'm sitting there and I have my back. I'm the only one in the restaurant, by the way. I'm sitting with my back to them. I don't want them. The guy back there who's tatted up and and frying chicken looking at me like a big sissy, and I'm turning around. But I'm heaving by this time. I can't stop, and I'm going, God, help me, help me. And all of a sudden, man, it comes to mind The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord who spoke this cosmos into existence, who breathed stars into existence, the, the nebulae, the, 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 the everything that exists, is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet, tranquil waters. Lord, give me peace. Restore and encourage me. <laughs> He guides me. The word of God guides. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's his story, not mine. And even though sometimes those paths may lead through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are with me. Your rod, it protects me. Your staff, it guides me. You set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't even have to be afraid, God, of of Satan sneaking up behind me because goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And one day, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Word of God guided me. It protected me. It revived and encouraged me. And it gave me hope. By that time, I finally stopped crying and uh, something had happened. I'd gone from almost spitting a nugget across the table to uh, now I'm on holy ground. I am attending Kentucky Fried Baptist Church. (laughs) We were having church. My point is the word of God saved me. The word of God. So we come back to that point where I said the word of God liberates. Spurgeon said, "Happy are they who, in searching the Bible, discover their Savior." Jesus told the men on their way to Emmaus in Luke twenty, Luke chapter twenty-four. They did not recognize Him, the risen Christ, and Luke records that using the Psalm, I'm sorry, the Prophets, the Law and the Psalms explain to them everything about himself. In the Psalms, as well as the rest of the scriptures, we find our Savior. The, the, the Psalm 119 um, is not, just an, it's not merely an exaltation of Jesus, of the Bible. It's an exaltation about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ himself. He is the living word the Lord of the nations, the Lion of Judah, the Rock of Salvation. He's the Ancient of Days, the Great I Am, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And that's who showed up at Kentucky Fried Chicken. The Word of God liberates. (laughs) There may be some in here, some watching online who have They've never met this shepherd that I know. Anyone can quote Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, but it only matters if you know the shepherd. If you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Word of God says you can. Paul wrote, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Then for Christians here, you've known the Lord for a while, but it's been a while since you took your Bible seriously. Folks, my whole goal during this last half hour was to help you fall in love with your Bible again or for the very first time. Paul wrote, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to pray. There are going to be men down here, pastors, who would love to visit with you. If you need to be reminded of what is true in the Word of God, we're here. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.